The only way to avoid finding yourselves on the front pages is for one of you to kill Wadsworth. Now. Previously on Three and a Half Walls. Next week, we're going to bring in, in my opinion, the best movie based off a board game. And it's critically acclaimed to be a very good movie. If you know anything about board game movies and you kind of like heard our title and you went, huh, why isn't this movie in there? Just wait till next week. You know what it is. Just wait till next week. If you don't, then I'm going to show you guys a really good movie. <laughs> Daniel, just fucking say it. I'm not going to say it. That's... No. Censor that. Censor that. Hi, welcome to the Three and a Half Walls podcast. I'm Austin Zwiebelman. I'm Jackson Morrill. I'm Josh Key. I'm Mr. Green. I'm Angelo. And today we're going to be reviewing the 1985 movie Clue. They called me Colonel Mustard and Juicy. <laughs> so, so basically, if you didn't catch last week, uh, watch it, one. But two, so um, to piggyback off of everything, uh, they asked me what movies should we watch, and I had this idea stewing, and I said, hey, we should do board game movies. So we last week we watched Candyland and the Great Lollipop Adventure, and Battleship, which is one of my, which is a guilty pleasure of mine, in my opinion. So Jackson told me that we need, I need a third movie if we're gonna do this idea. So I said, Candyland was my third movie. I originally wanted to do Clue, <laughs> because this is genuinely a great movie. Like unironically. This movie is really great. It's funny. It has a lot of suspense. It's 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 awesome. <laughs> yeah, it got kind of a second life, a cult status after it came to home video. Because initially, when this came out in movie theaters, it was a box office flop. Yeah, it it yeah, had it a budget of fifteen million and it only made fourteen of that. So that didn't even account for marketing or anything like that. Which yeah. in the eighties, I guess marketing was kind of a smaller thing. That didn't eat up too much budget, but still, it was a consideration, and at the end of the day, it just kind of faded into obscurity, and a big part of that was kind of its claim to fame in the modern day, which is... It has multiple endings. Yeah, but at the time, they just yeah. mailed the cuts randomly to theaters, <laughs> so people in different towns had no idea how the film actually ended. It wasn't until the home video release in the early 2000s that they finally were able to put all three endings together, and pe some people had never experienced them before, and only heard legend of the other ways this film ended. I'm gonna be completely honest, right? Like, I can totally get why this movie flopped in theaters, because if I were to see any of these endings separate, I wouldn't have liked this movie as much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, my favorite part is because, like, if you guys have played Clue, right? Like, you know, you shuffle up the cards in the beginning of the game, and it can be anything, right? My favorite my favorite endings to the board games is whenever you find the answer, but it turns out that it's the character that you're playing as. So like I always played as Mr. Green, right? Because that's my that's my name. <laughs> so I would always just be like, I know the answer, it's Mr. Green with the candlestick in the billiard room. And they'd be like, You're right, but why did you just accuse yourself? Because I wanted to win, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like me with Monopoly, I mean sure that I was eliminated first so I couldn't possibly lose. <laughs> if you invest too hard into real estate, it never pays off, and then all of a sudden your credit card is maxed out. Uh, and you're the, homeless. And you're the president of the United States. Uh, the Federal Bureau of Investigation is ready to kill my ass. Wait, Jackson, instead of Monopoly, you play MC Hammer? Just race to poverty? How quick can I blow this? Oh no, I... 
<laughs> that would be DMX simulator. How to commit tax fraud. <laughs> Apparently X isn't going to give it to him. <laughs> Six nine the board game. Oh, God. No, it's, like, it's like guess who, but instead of there being one right answer and 19 wrong answer, it's, it's reversed. You just have to name 19 people on the other side of the board. <laughs> Um, okay, so before we go up further into this movie, right, uh, you might have noticed, right, so this is, I think, the most people we've ever had on a podcast at one time. Yeah, it's a little crowded in here. It is very crowded. Um, so the reason that we've brought on, uh, this person, so there's two reasons. I, I would like you to introduce yourself. I'm Angelo, and, uh... You're one of four people that have left comments on the channel. Oh, yeah, yes. exactly, I'm right? The, I'm, I'm the show's number one fan. Yeah, exactly. So he's, he's, but I haven't um, seen the last podcast episode, so I'm the worst number one fan. Yeah, that's fan. fine. You it know, you've just, seen a lot of our videos. It's all good. The Photoshop joke was the only really like worthwhile thing, which was the uh, parody of John Wick with uh, Jib. That was beautiful. <laughs> Uh, it took me for fucking ever to realize it. But yeah, if you comment on our videos, uh, you know, subscribe to our 50 cents a month Patreon tier. <laughs> uh, and fly yourself out here. We will have you on the podcast. We will pick you, you up from Lambert International. <laughs> but you just got to tell us that you're coming there. <laughs> yeah, just put a, po post a comment on our least viewed episode, the Hot Fuzz one. And, yeah. you know. <laughs> now, if you're getting funny ideas, don't try anything because I do do have Angelo at gunpoint right now just to make sure there's no like fun. I am totally cool with this. <laughs> okay. So anyway, uh, back to the movie. Uh, so, actually, back to the joke of uh, Six Nine the board game. I thought they renamed that to Snitch Nine. Uh, Jesus Christ! Uh, he's. A, I see. I know why he's in a punny mood, though. <laughs> we all know why he's in a punny mood. We just got done watching Clue. Yes, yeah, so I figured it was best to expose myself now rather than later. <laughs> Clue, Clue had a lot of funny lines. I, th I still think my favorite line comes from when I first watched this. Uh, this is from like, you know, t 10 years ago now. But uh, I was obsessed with the line where Tim Curry says, I'm a butler, sir. I buttle. <laughs> <laughs> so so the, the first time I ever watched this movie, I um, it was my freshman year of college, and I met... Uh, this this guy. So we were both acting majors in college. So we decided that hey, you know, we should probably be friends. <laughs> and so he brought me into his room, and we were just like browsing Netflix or whatever. And he was like, I don't know what to watch right now. I just want to watch a movie. He might have been high. I don't know. He he was high a lot of the times. Uh, to anyone who went to Webster University um, in 2014, you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, but no, so... Um, it turns out Daniel just hallucinated a second version of Daniel. Yeah, no, <laughs> totally. That was how much weed he smoked. Oh yeah, totally. When we were, um, so we were sitting in his room, and we were browsing Netflix, and he was like, oh, Clue's such a great movie. I was like, you know, I've never seen Clue. And he just went, you've never seen Clue? Oh my god, we gotta watch Clue right now! So he put on Clue, and I loved it. I thought it was amazing. I thought it was so funny. I thought it was incredible. And it's honestly the one of the reasons, this and Battleship, is the reason that I really wanted to make this podcast. <laughs> so according to VH1's list of 30 things you didn't know about 1985's Clue, number 30 is, did you know millennials actually really like Clue? <laughs> didn't you have to read an entire BuzzFeed article to get this information? I'll get to that later, but <laughs> see, there's, there's a sort of deficit. Like when they released the Blu-ray, there were zero special features on it. Mm -hmm. So we, we don't really have that much to dig into insofar as like very traditional 
traditional stuff? Like there Blu-ray is special a non-traditional. Features. On SoundCloud, a fan of the movie heard that the director wanted to record a commentary, but they didn't have the budget to do it before pres- pressing the discs, and got that him onto SoundCloud to do a fan commentary with the director. Holy! Are you serious? It exists. Oh my god! Unfortunately, gosh. we are starting this podcast about four hours after my first viewing of the movie, so we watched we it not twice. Have the time. Yeah. <laughs> So I, I think I know why a kid from the conservatory would show you this. This was like my big note with an exclamation point next to it. This is a movie for horny theater kids. Yes, <laughs> it absolutely is. There's actually, I think, I don't know if it's a play or a musical, but there is a play or a musical based on Clue, right? And one of its advertising points is I think it has like 85 endings. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> one for each gender of the kids in the conservatory or something? <laughs> <laughs> there are 34 genders, and each time you complain, we add five more. <laughs> yes! <laughs> my, uh, my date mate sent me that meme, and I loved it. <laughs> That's a, a top-notch meme. Yeah. But I was, I was just watching this and just thinking, because uh, this was fucking directed by Jonathan Lynn, who started off as a stage actor, and I think had more success like doing stage stuff than he ever had like comfort doing movies. And uh, so this totally reads just like theater kid stuff. It's like a theater kid dream script. Lots of fast talking. Lots of very like PG-13-ish jokes. And just sexual energy oozing from every corner. Yeah, us theater kids are very horny. Lots of scandals in this are just people either cheating on each other or fucking somebody they're not supposed to be. It's And and one of the whole, like the main character gags is just they're a walking pair of bongo tits. (laughs) This is the perfect movie to show horny theater kids because it's got those dumb little puns that you la- you yuck it up with while you're smoking a bowl with your friend from some different country we've got to act alongside death of a salesman in next week and and meanwhile you've both got like fucking you know what is it chubbies the entire time hiding in your pants texting somebody else probably from the theater group you know what I'm talking about yeah. I could totally imagine myself getting pumped up to play Willy Loman by watching this movie five times full time. Oh my god. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. The more the movie's horny. Uh, I think the movie was smarter than I remembered it being. It uh, really is smart, actually. What one thing the director said in this? Uh, I'm gonna just. Reference the article now. There's this BuzzFeed article that I'm pulling most of my information from. It's actually like thousands of words, first-hand research. It's really fucking good. It's called <clears throat> The Crazy Story of How Clue Went from Forgotten Flop to Cult Triumph by John Gara of BuzzFeed. So apparently the director... Right, the director... You know how directors have people like sit down and watch a movie sometimes before they do their movie? Sure. So this one was His Girl Friday. He, he sat the cast down. Her name was Friday. No. The, the, the old movie from the 30s? Oh, okay. His Girl Friday? Oh, okay. Yeah. I hadn't seen it, but it, okay. Anyway, continue. I'm so sorry. It's <laughs> one of those old newspaper movies where everybody talks in that, like, fake North Atlantic accent. Transatlantic accent. Yeah. I hate newspaper movies. They give me anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> Every 
<laughs> you can never catch up to what they're saying. Yeah. Transatlantic accent was actually necessary because microphones can't capture, back at the time, couldn't capture bassy tones. Anyway, continue. Crazy. So so the movie has like this, this pretty tight, uh, fun, like fun script with a lot of jokes kind of hidden in there. So it, it, it holds up in today's like ADHD Adderall fueled environment. I don't think they're hidden so much as the pa- the pace is so breakneck that they genuinely refuse to linger on them, except for one, which is the only time the film slows down <laughs> to have the ten straight seconds just staring down the stairwell cuts away from for a whole scene and then comes back to with well, nothing with a Mr. Green and a vet. Yes, yeah, that was should, a good scene. Should we do a quick plot synopsis? Uh, yeah, sure. I don't think it's inherently necessary. Essentially, if you played the G mod Matt Clue, it's a game of murder. <laughs> well, <Jackson>. Okay. <laughs> Not everybody's a fucking nerd, right? <laughs> so basically, um, yeah. So we'll do a quick plot synopsis. Basically, what happens is six people get invited to uh, this house, and Mr. Body is. Uh, apparently invited them all. But Mr. Body is also blackmailing each of these six characters. And if you played the board game Clue, then you know the six characters. So they're given murder weapons, and they're told you can either kill the butler who who told everyone that they're being blackmailed by Mr. Body. Because, yeah, they're being blackmailed by Mr. Body. Um, Or you can just, like, not, or whatever. And not get arrested. Yeah, and not get arrested. Uh, so then he turned, uh, Mr. Body turns off the lights, and then he's found dead. So now we have to find out who killed Mr. Body. And then <laughs> hilarity ensues, which results in the death of what? Six people. Five people. Six. Five more people, six total. Yes, so six total people get killed. Um, and it's basically, they just go around the entire, like, map of Clue. <laughs> trying to find clues. Except for the ballroom. The ballroom only appears once as a cameo. Yes, the ballroom only... Nothing relevant. It's still the map of Clue. Yep. You know, <laughs> I think they could have replaced all the dialogue that w- in this movie after Mr. Body dies with the Benny Hill theme. <laughs> <laughs> and not sped it up at all. <laughs> and it would be pretty fucking funny still. Just like a straight loop. Just a straight loop, yeah. A Benny Hill theme 10 hours. <laughs> <laughs> that exists somewhere, doesn't it? Yeah, but that um... exists in 10 hours on YouTube. <laughs> you could find 10 hours of the sound Saturn makes. Yeah. <laughs> I know what I'm falling asleep to tonight. Like the car or the planet? Yes. <laughs> Don't fall asleep to that. You'll have horrible nightmares. It's genuinely <laughs> one of the most disturbing sounds I've ever heard. Yeah. Is that in like the same kind of strange sci-fi playlist as 10 hours of the Event Horizon engine noise? <laughs> yeah. I once stumbled on that and had the same thought. Don't go to sleep. Uh, listening to this, your endoplasmic reticulum will fry that night. You'll never be able to pay attention to something for more than three seconds again without seeing demons. Austin and I were talking before this podcast. We used to both listen to Leafy is Here while we would fall asleep. Why are you exposing us like this? And of all places. There are ladies present. You can cut this out. I don't care. Jamie. Jamie, cut this out. Jamie, cut this out. I I like how it, it his voice was so boring that it put us to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Called out. Yeah. Yeah, Calvin. Fuck you. <laughs> Cuz we know that you care. His name is Calvin. 
Calvin. His name is Calvin. <laughs> Levia's hero's name is Calvin. Now we're on a direct tangent. He also Anyways. has no chin. <laughs> so as the film progresses, more people die, and eventually it devolves into Tim Curry screaming like a madman running around, just recapping the last hour of the movie. Yeah, because yeah. this Basically, is one of those things right? that uh, retroactively benefited from the cult of Tim Curry personality. Like, kids kids see Rocky Horror, then they see Clue, and then they see It. I skipped straight to uh, Clue, and I saw Clue for the first time today, so. Yeah. Tim Curry's incredible. He's an incredible actor. Like, there's just... I can't name a single bad performance that Tim Curry has done. I can name bad movies that Tim Curry has been in, but I can't name a bad performance that Tim Curry has done. I thought his performance in this movie was, at, like, when it, we were starting out again, really restrained. And then we get to, like, the last 15 minutes. And, uh, fun... Yeah, fun trivia fact. He actually developed, like, a heart condition very briefly while he was doing that. Like, he was feeling faint, goes to the doctor, and they say his blood pressure is, like, way too high. And so he had to take, like, heart pills for a week while they were filming that scene at the end where he's running around. Oh, God. It was too physically taxing for him. His turn to madness is basically the second that he goes in, this is a door, what's this? And then he just turns on a shower head and soaks himself. <laughs> and it's a total throwaway moment. It didn't need to happen, but it's just there. There's like a three second shot of him just sitting there with his hand on a shower handle as he's being soaked by a shower head. And you don't see him move. He's just resigned to his fate. And then he comes out soaked. I missed that the first time we were watching. And I'm like, why is he wet? Why is he so sweaty? And then I realized. <laughs> that's, that's, that, that's basically the origin story for a Sam Raimi Spider-Man movie villain. <laughs> oh when God. he just goes somewhere, unexpectedly turns on a shower, and gets sprayed with it. It's smarter than Sandman. <laughs> <laughs> Thought it was smarter than the new Goblin. <laughs> yeah, that... Yeah. <laughs> so you got you guys. Uh, this is a funny excerpt that I swore that I'd read to you from that BuzzFeed article. Uh, this won't take long, but you have to know this, okay? Before Lynn realized it, he'd agreed to fly to Los Angeles at Goober's expense, Goober being one of the producers of the movie. Yeah, I remember that. To meet with Landis and Hill and hear the full pitch. Frankly, the reason I said yes was because I'd never flown first class, he says. <laughs> and I thought that would be really interesting to do that once in my life. <laughs> so the whole reason that fucking Jonathan Lynn flew out to hear anything about this movie and get the ball rolling was because they offered him a first class ticket. Because <laughs> otherwise he thought it was pretty fucking stupid they were doing a movie based off a board game. So it's a lot like Jaws for the Revenge when Michael Caine opened up that screenplay and just the moment he saw that it was set in Hawaii, he agreed to do the movie. Oh my God. <laughs> I can't think of any other board game movies aside from the from, from the Battleship three. and Candyland. No, we've we've covered all of them. Yeah, all three there of them are, have been made. Uh, there are a couple more. Like, um, well, I mean, there's there's multiple Dungeons and Dragons movies. Yeah, but there's also Achievement Hunters Uno the movie. There is, is Achievement Hunters Uno the movie. Um, but like, I looked at the trailer for Dungeons and Dragons, and I was just like, this just looks awful. I've like, seen it. I actually own it. Oh God! It's, Please tell me it's on VHS. Unfortunately not. Oh. And it wouldn't be good on VHS. Like, it's entire green screen and CGI. And I was just like, this is just boring. 
Like, I just looked at the trailer, and I just went, this is going to be a boring movie. And then I looked at the trailer for Candyland, and I just went, this is going to be an awful movie. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I went with Candyland. <laughs> the problem with the Dungeons & Dragons movie is that it has absolutely nothing to do with Dungeons & Dragons. That's what just it looked like, somebody that too. played it and, like, I want to see my characters on the big no, it's, screen. No. Just generic fantasy. That's literally all it is. Guardians of the Galaxy is a better Dungeons and Dragons movie than the Dungeons and Dragons movie. Hell yeah. I would actually say that the Claymation Rudolph movie is a better Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> oh my god. You guys want to hear something funny about fucking Jonathan Lynn failing to adapt to Hollywood? Sure. So he goes there, and he's trying to cast Miss Scarlet, and you guys know this. See, they tried to get Carrie Fisher, right? She went into rehab the week before filming. And so she... That's so sad. So she she goes to him, because he's still trying to get Carrie Fisher, and she's like, no, what'll happen is, I'll just come out during the day to work, and I'll go back into rehab during the night. And one of the producers, right? That's I think her name, how it works. Right. Well, her name was Debbie, was also on cocaine at the time of the making of this movie. So, she, you know, he goes to her, and he's like, hey, producer lady, do you think we can swing this? And she's like, yeah, yeah, we could probably do that. I've heard it's been done before. And eventually they get down to the insurance guy who actually works for like Paramount. And the insurance guy is like, that's not how fucking rehab works. And is looking at this director like he's stupid. But Jonathan is just telling him, just like freaking out. He's like, I'm sorry, back in Britain, not everyone's on cocaine all the time. <laughs> Everyone he went to trying to get this, like, fixed oh. was on some sort of drug. In oh fact, did you know, the chick who plays Miss Peacock in the final movie, they had just plucked her out of rehab. She was oh in there for my gods. Yeah, Miss Peacock in this movie, this was her first acting role out of she got out of rehab for an, a painkiller addiction. Oh my God. And the props master, this is the cherry on top, the props master would show up to set drunk. Guess what the props master was in charge of? Dropping the chandelier. <laughs> so there was one day when, when, when the mustard guy, Colonel Mustard, goes up to the props master, and he's, you know, kind of anxious because they're going to drop the fucking chandelier behind him. And the props master is just like, oh, well, God, I, I really hope this goes well. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, and the guns? On set, yeah, yeah, two of them. them. One of them had a bullet in it. One bullet. No, you could, yeah, you could we see the you. bullet yeah. it, with the revolver when Tim Curry's like, "No, you're out of bullets." You can clearly see the bullet in the cylinder, like ready to be cycled. <laughs> ready to be cycled. Surprisingly, it wasn't the one in the in the chamber, ready to go. And that's why I love this movie. I'm gonna be completely honest. So again, me with acting, directing background, like. So I'm looking at all these characters. I'm looking at every single thing. My favorite... So we talked earlier about how this movie had three endings in theaters. The best ending is the final ending. Like, that's just the best ending in the movie. It's it has the, the flame speech. It's the most developed, yes. and it's the one that was actually in the script. And they wrote other endings during the production just to kind of give the movie a unique selling point that they weren't going to advertise and hopefully get people talking about. Unfortunately, this movie came out about 20 years too early for that to really be effective. Yeah. Um, but, so, the, the last ending is, like, my favorite part, right? Because, so we watched this twice. And, so first time, I, well, I saw it back in college. So this is, I've seen it my second and third time in my life today. And the sec the third time I was watching it, I was watching for every single plot point in the third ending. And they were all spot 
on. Except for one. Who Which is one? Yvette talking to when she gets strangled? That is a hanging plot thread that is never active. Scarlet what? Uh, Miss White. It's actually not. Yeah, it was. It totally was. Nope. Looked up. I looked up this and it was just kind of one of those things that they had intended to play around with more endings where everybody, including Mr. Green, was the main killer. And that was a leftover thread from one of them, same with the poisoned cognac. How could you do it, Daniel? It was it, it was <laughs> like it made sense. Like it. it uh, okay, okay, I see what you mean. Actually, yes, I don't know who exactly she was talking to, and that it was a, a small. It's a conspiracy that's left hanging, but it doesn't matter because all of the major grand scheme details line up perfectly with the main ending. I could I could see that as she kind of went off on her own, and then she was going to talk to someone, maybe Miss Scarlet. I don't know. But it turned out to be Mrs. White instead. Like, that's kind of how I read it. That might make sense just because she did work at the brothel that Mrs. Scarlet ran. By the way... Exactly. Uh, the, the original profession is just prostitution. Exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah. World's so, oldest profession. Like, so basically they were saying, like, um, th like in the very... Like, the first murder when the cook gets murdered, right? So, um... Spoiler alert! Uh, if you haven't seen Clue, what the fuck are you doing watching this video? The cook gets video? murdered. Yeah, right. That's but like, what are you doing watching this? You need to go watch Clue. It's a great movie. Um, but so when the cook gets murdered, it's Miss Peacock who kills kills her. Miss Peacock was the only person not in the room when they go when they went to check on your bet. All right. Like I checked because she stayed behind, sitting on the couch, and lagged behind. Yeah, she lagged her. behind, went to go kill the cook, and then once they leave, they bring Yvette back to the lounge. Yeah. Uh, when they bring her back to the lounge, she just goes right back to the couch, mm -hmm. and it's just like you know, I didn't catch that. She totally wasn't there. Yeah. And then like every time where they say like this person wasn't there. They weren't there. They actually really weren't there. To, to be fair, this is a really layered mystery movie, and this actually burned three lighters up like little matchsticks. When, when Landis was initially like trying to write the script for Clue, right, he had a general idea of how it went, like, for most of it. So eventually he goes up to this playwright named like Tom, Tom Stoppard. Tom Stoppard, I've never seen any of his fucking plays. Tom Stoppard tries to work on this for like a year. And then after a year, he sends Landis a letter and it just says, I can't. And then it has a, <laughs> it has a check with just all the money that Landis had paid the guy to write it for the exact amount. The guy bailed. So then after that, Landis is just like, what the fuck? Oh so my then God. he goes up to fucking Stephen Sondheim, the motherfucker who wrote Gypsy. Yeah. yeah. Well, and then Anthony Sondheim Perkins. Sondheim wrote like everything on Broadway. Right. <laughs> and apparently Sondheim and Perkins pissed off Paramount because they're just, they like go to Paramount and they're like, all right, what do you need to work on this? And they just like, put their pinky up to the bottom corner of their lip and we're like, one million dollars! <laughs> or, or, or something fucking crazy and so that, that fucking blew through. <laughs> and eventually he lands on Jonathan Lynn, the guy who directs this movie because uh, I think uh, Landis had to go and direct Spies Like Us. Oh, like he totally had to bail and go, go direct Spies Like Us. But yeah, this movie was not an easy thing to write and especially, like imagine if like fucking coked up Landis comes to you and it's just like, hey, write me a murder mystery. And you're like, all right, I got the draft finished. It wasn't easy tying all that together. And then he's just like, now make two more fucking endings that all, all can work in the context of the script. And they all work. They work loosely. Not all of the details are perfect fits, but they're close enough that you don't really question it. 
Exactly, and that's why I think the third ending is the best ending. Yes, that one has the least loose ends. And that's why it says this is how it really ended. Exactly. Like, yeah, so so basically what happens is uh, the first ending, uh, it shows... Well, so they, they eventually say that Yvette's the killer. And that Yvette went around, did all these things, but then she's the one who gets killed, so you're obviously just like, oh, it's not her. Well, no, actually, I take that back. So it was Miss Scarlet telling Yvette that she went around doing all these killings, and then it turns out it's Miss Scarlet. Then the second one, it turns out it's Miss Peacock, and it's like, okay, I can, like, kind of sort of see that, right? Like, I honestly think the Miss Peacock ending is the least brought-together one. I don't know. She Her facade drops a couple times in the main movie whenever she takes her glasses off. It's a very different persona that she's carrying about herself whenever the glasses are off. Yeah. And, and so I, it makes sense for her to really just be hardened and scheming the whole time. Yes, you're right, but I, I didn't buy it. Exactly. It, also, I will say it's really funny that they just kind of gather and start singing. It feels like nobody had planned it, and Tim Curry just went over, gathered everybody over, and just started singing. <laughs> Did you know Tim Curry went to the same boarding school as the director of this shit? They no. were lifelong friends, I knew that, but I did not know they were boarding school buddies. Yeah, he looked up to him as, like, a big dick actor on the block. I was just like, oh, I get to work with Jonathan? Jonathan's a great actor! Oh boy. Which so, is fucking weird. The other thing I am going to say though, um the uh singing that happened there, it's it's beautiful, harmonious. And, yeah, it's very harmonious and I even remember there's like somebody doing like the freaking like um the, the harmony. Not false, well, yes, the harmony, but also oh my god, I'm drawing a blank on what it's called. It's not falsetto. It's ah, oh well. <laughs> anyway, but somebody doing like this really like high part, right? And she's like kind of going off and doing her own thing. But it, I I forget the musical term. If if I text it to you, will you display it on screen right now? Alto. Okay. No, it's not. It's not alto. Soprano. It's not soprano. It's the Sopranos. Falsetto. No, it's not falsetto. It, auto tune. It, it's auto tune. <laughs> it's auto tune. It's auto tune. <laughs> Yeah, they so, dropped the bass really hard during that segment. Too. Yeah. Pretty awesome. <laughs> Yo, Skrillex it dropped like, it hard. Bro, bro, bro. For she's a jelly good fellow. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I, uh, I did a Me Too count for this movie every oh, time man. that a woman was grabbed without asking. <laughs> <laughs> this is furthermore why I think this is a horny theater kid movie is because Me Too doesn't exist in, like, fucking most realms of theater. But yep. it's... it's, it's uh, I counted four Me Too moments where somebody had their ass or other body part, some woman had their body part grabbed. So yeah, we're, we're only up to four. Like, this isn't really, like, as bad as it could have been. But now, does it count when two characters have to squeeze in through the same spot because neither of them will acquiesce to the other's dominance in that sense? Uh, no. I don't know if it's so much of a dominance. That would, that would add three. It's not a dominance perspective. It's a I don't want to fucking die perspective. <laughs> yeah, but one of them would be the dominant personality if they trusted the other. It's, but it's, nobody trusts anyone, and exactly, that's kind of the whole which point. is why they all try to be the dominant personality. So I wouldn't call it a Me Too moment. Are you guys excited? Excited for that? Uh, you guys excited for that Bella Thorne Pornhub movie? It already came out. Oh, is it good? I don't know. <laughs> all right, uh, it costs money. 
I don't pay. I don't pay for porn. As far <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, I really just hope Knives Out has been lying to us this whole time, and it's just going to be a re-release of this movie. Right. It's like what <laughs> Star Trek Into Darkness did. They kept saying that it wasn't Wrath of Khan, and then the third act, somebody just like looks at the screen, and it's just been like Tim Curry just walks out, and he's like, "I know who the killer is." And like Knives Out. <laughs> no, no, there's no original footage of Knives Out. It just it replaces Clue with Knives Out in the titles. <laughs> and um, everything else is the same. So they just deep fake like Michael Shannon and Jamie Lee Curtis into Clue 1985. But only on the portraits. <laughs> oh, God. So uh, how would you guys like the political dimension to this? Uh, I thought it was funny. It was really convincing. <laughs> Setting it in like the 50s during the Red Scare was really funny. Yeah. And it added a little bit more weight to Mr. Green's character who is as a closeted homosexual being exposed would uh, would absolutely be career-ending for him in government. Yeah, but yeah. then it turns out he's not, but we're jumping a little ahead. Or does it? In one of the canon <laughs> endings. There's yeah. three canon endings. Awesome. They wanted more. And it sets up the perfect line with uh, communism is a red herring. <laughs> communism is a red herring might be one of my favorite lines. I thought that was like a really cool like just thing, right? It's just like communism is a red herring. I'm a capitalist. And I'm just like, Whoa. That was so cool the first time. The second time it's like, why are they reprising that line? And the third time you're like, all right, this gag is really funny. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like in the Miss Scarlet ending, it's like... Oh, shit, like, you know, communism is just as bad as capitalism, because I hate, I hate government, but... <laughs> oh, yeah. Uberman. Okay. Yeah. Don't touch my bread, government. Yeah. I was trying to think of, like, names, like, fake names to spin this up, like, I think I was, like, Murder on the Orient Express, because <laughs> was slutty, and then eventually, I, like, because of the political dimension, I just settled on House of Solution Cards. <laughs> Good. That one sounds like you really, really tried. And <laughs> if you like, played the board game Clue, it's funny. It's like a C plus at best if you were turning that in for a grade. Damn. Damn. Jackson, you write a joke. Uh. It's what I thought, bitch. Beans. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, there was actually a fourth ending shot, and it was the poison cognac ending. Huh? I've been waiting for an opportunity to do this. There was a fourth ending that was shot and then cut from the film, and it was that the cognac was poisoned the whole time, and everybody then falls over dead. So Wadsworth gets in a car and leaves but forgets to check the car, and guess what's in the car with him? The entire FBI. The guard dogs from the beginning of the movie who maul him in his car crashes. <laughs> <laughs> Why would they be in the car, though? I'm I don't know. they cut that ending. We yeah, it, it was a little too dark and a little too absurd. Did you yeah. really just ask why dogs wouldn't be in a car? Dude, they love car rides. You ever been <laughs> yes, around a dog? Okay, yes, but how did dog get to car? They were chained. Do you understand Very... how big dogs are? The, do you understand how tough chains are? I've right. seen multiple dogs break chains that were smaller than those dogs. Okay, I, but like, you know, they didn't break them before, so why are they breaking them now? Because they can. I can break these yeah, cuffs. Yeah, I don't like that answer. I can break these cuffs. You can't break these cuffs. $20 to break those cuffs. Are we going back to Battleship? Yes. <laughs> we, we, could, we could 
take this opportunity to show the world our uh, our brilliant pitches. Oh God. Oh my God. Are we doing this now? Uh, yeah. What else do Unless we have you to wanna... say about the movie? Yeah. I was about to say, do we have anything else to say about Clue? Like, I don't I just really have a lot to movie. say. It's a really fantastic piece of media that feels a lot more retro than it is. At 1985, it both feels very modern because cinema has caught up to the pace that this movie was running at, and it feels very classic because the time setting is really convincing with the costume design. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I thought this movie was great. I recommend it to watch, and uh, hey, maybe one day we will revisit this movie and actually listen to the SoundCloud commentary. I would love that. <laughs> oh, okay, boy. so now, um, since I kind of figured that this would kind of be a hot fuzz scenario where we just like kept going off topic or just kept like sucking the movie's dick because this movie is great. Yeah, thank God we haven't gotten into crypto yet. Right? <laughs> so I um I challenged everyone else here. I said, "Hey, so you know, we've seen Candyland and the the Great Lollipop Adventure. We've seen Battleship. And now we've seen Clue. So we've seen kind of all ends of the spectrum for board game movies. So I challenged <coughs> Sorry. I challenged everyone. I said, hey, make your own board game movie and we're gonna pitch it live. And now uh, to all three of you listening to this, all three individuals. You made it this far. You've made it this far. Not four because Angelo's here. Exactly, right? <laughs> um, I want you to, if you wanna leave a comment saying which pitch you would, um, you would watch which pitch you would watch or which pitch you would produce or anything i want to i want to hear your favorite pitch um but yeah so we a bunch of us have come up with uh board game movies and i want to hear everyone's pitch so i don't know who we're going to start with who do you um, start? we're going to start with me yeah okay give me one sec i got to pull it up on my laptop <laughs> actually i have my pitch ready because i wrote it down while watching the first time okay then jackson so please go ahead I'll i'm willing to go because either mine is going to get stolen or mine is going to be really lame I have played like six board games in my life, and one of them was House Rules Risk. I've never played actual Risk. <laughs> so uh, I thought, let's try Halo Monopoly the movie, and then I realized that that wouldn't work. <laughs> so I went down the list of games that I have, and I have four written here. Uh, Dead of Winter with a question mark, which was then crossed out. Elder Sign, Pandemic, which I've never played. And then Betrayal in the House on the Hill. Okay. And I thought that would make a good movie where an Eldritch location, Journey's film, it's kind of in the same vein as a stalker slash roadside picnic, where this Eldritch location just draws these four people together. They don't really have anything in common, they're just drawn to this house, and they enter, and it starts off as just kind of like an innocent but creepy-ass house, because it's vaguely haunted, but really only an aesthetic. But as they journey deeper in the spirit of the game, the rooms start becoming non-Euclidean and not really making sense of how the layout is because it's a procedural game where every time you open a door and enter a room, you pick a tile and place the tile there. So as the game progress, as the uh, film progresses, these characters are increasingly realizing that this, this house is not normal. So a lot of the rooms are looping back on each other in ways they shouldn't and aren't really fitting in the geometry of the walls as viewed from the outside, and events start happening that are supernatural, and eventually taking a page out of Clue, the third act is one of three acts, because a big part of Betrayal on House on the Hill is that mechanically, you can theoretically have a different haunt for every time you play that game. 
just with expansions so, and the main book, which has 60. So pick three where one of the secondary characters, because obviously we have a protagonist, one of the secondary characters becomes haunted and turns into the villain and monster of the monster of the house. And then it is now the remaining secondary character's job and the main character to escape. And in all of the endings, the other two secondary characters die. The main escapes, but they don't defeat the evil, so the evil is unleashed upon the world. Okay. And that's my pitch for House on the Hill, the movie. I like it. Or just Betrayal, the movie. That's pretty cool. Ugh. It's fitting, because this movie has a reference to the haunting of Hill House. Mm -hmm. It's where they say the movie set, Hill House. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So do we want to go with mine now? Yeah. Okay, so to straight up so to I, I wrote a paragraph that summarizes the plot of my movie, okay? In the year 4, 000, uh, 4564, Earth has been waging war with an alien race called the Milstros for a hundred years. They agreed to stop this war under one condition. They will meet on a neutral planet, and they will assemb assemble the power grid. Legend has said that the people who find enough power disks and place four in a row will be the most powerful species in the universe. <laughs> Where they are, we don't know. All we know is they are hidden. Some are difficult and some are in plain sight. While trying to find the disks, Alan, an Earth general, befriends an alien whose ancestors made the power disk and tells of their immense power. She helps Alan to save the rest of humanity in their quest to connect four. <laughs> Gangbusters. I'm glad mine was lame. <laughs> Daniel, that's fucking visionary. You redid the movie industry. It's all board game movies now. This is Battleship 2. You filled the, you filled the Marvel movie power gap. <laughs> what, do they think Black Widow's gonna mean anything? No. Da Daniel just fixed Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I wrote derivative bullshit, this children's movie. Uh, I uh, I just wrote a plot for the Don't Wait Daddy movie. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, just like a fucking five-year-old, six-year-old, and a four-year-old, and it's just basically Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. <laughs> But it's just a few siblings who can barely, like, you know, they gotta, like, find ways to open doors and get through basic parts of the house. Because they, they hatched a plot to break out of their rooms and get to the fridge, like in the board game. <laughs> where there's this chocolate cake that got left in the fridge and that their dad, who's on, like, imposing a no-fun diet on the family, is gonna throw away in the morning. But not nighttime, right? Because the garbage hasn't been collected or some shit. <laughs> so they want to sneak there and eat that cake before daddy throws it away in the morning. And there is, uh, like, traps and enemies, like the house pets and crazy shit. And uh, even a burglar who's trying to break in. And at the end of the film, they find out that the burglar was is their mom who snuck out of the bed with the dad, you know? Just, like, put some pillows in there and shit. So she could go eat unhealthy food. <laughs> And everybody's laughing and eating cake at the end, and the dad comes in, and he's just like, What are you guys doing? And then he, like, slips and just breaks his neck. <laughs> then the movie's just done. I'm, so I, uh, I was, uh, I've been watching a lot of I Hate Everything lately, and uh, he said that the next search for the worst he's going to do is on elf bullying. 
So oh. I so I watched Elf Bowling. Why? Because I wanted to. I hate myself. That's why. And and honestly, I'm getting a lot of just Elf Bowling vibes from that. But like, I I bet that you could make that a lot better than Elf Bowling, and I love it. Oh. I think that's incredible, especially the ending <laughs> where he just dies. I, I mean, it's it's uh, a page taken from an old roommate of mine where he had this, like, really wholesome family movie. And then the end of it, like, this uncle comes down with just, like, shit on his dick. Total, like, tonal inconsistency from the rest of this movie. Like, it's like a normal G-rated family film. And then right at the end, this, this old dude walks down with shit on his dick, looks dead at the screen, and says, I got shit on my dick because my dick's in my ass. And then the movie ends. <laughs> Don, would you shoot that? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's Angelo, Angelo and Josh. Did you guys get the proper, like, time to come up with anything like these? So I, I had a few ideas, uh, but I realized some of them already exist, so there are more board game movies out there. So I was thinking about Rock'em Sock'em Robots. <laughs> real Steel. Yeah, I was about to say it's Real Steel. I'm sorry. Well, there's Real Steel, but there's a far better movie called okay. Robot Jocks from the 80s. Whoa. And it's uh, it was made partially by the guy who wrote The Forever War, which is a really serious sci-fi novel about basically like an allegory for Vietnam. But it was also made by someone else who th wanted to make campy trash, which makes this wonderful blend of just, like, attempting to be poignant and just dumb shit. Metallica's the, so the one plot versus is, Benny Hill mashup. So the plot of that one is that after the nuclear apocalypse, the nations of Earth get together and decide that the way they're going to solve problems now is by building big robots and having them fight. And whoever wins the robot fight wins the dispute. Yeah. And it's basically Rock'em Sock'em Robots. I thought it was basically Rocky. Oh. That see, too. It's also kind of like Rocky IV. Speaking of so Rocky IV. So can't do Rock'em Sock'em Robots. One of the reasons that Clue Bomb back in 1985 was another holiday season movie released around the same exact time. Movie. This movie was competing in theaters with Rocky IV. So it's funny you guys brought that up. Yeah, oh, really? Is, this is yeah. a Christmas movie. Believe it or not, it came out in Christmas. Although, and Rocky IV was a Christmas movie? Yeah, yeah it came out around that You time. know, when I think Christmas, I think fighting the Russians, you know? Oh, you think of Sylvester, Sylvester Stallone with a log in the snow, running around. Hearts on fire! <laughs> yeah, but so, communism was a red herring. I had a few other ideas here. Uh, one is from a Monopoly movie okay. about the 2008 financial crisis. Jesus Christ. <laughs> like, a, like a kind of a fast-paced, kind of weird, uh, you know, so not necessarily like short. a straight-up narrative. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so we have a Monopoly movie. I was going to say the Monopoly movie is just the Wolf of Wall Street. I, I realized that I had to go for ideas outside of American cinema to get a good original idea. And I'm going to go to the world of Japanese horror. Oh, God. Uh, I want this to be directed by Takashi Miike. Okay. The script is written for him. It's about a, uh, a, a child that kidnaps a guy and straps him to a gurney and starts cutting holes in him to try to pick things out without oh, touching no. his skin. Oh, no. Oh, no. I was trying to write this. Keep going. <laughs> but, uh... Because it's a Takashi Miike movie, it isn't really about anything other than just the imagery of just, like, shocking shit throughout. But oh. it is ultimately about operation. 
I was under the impression that that's a French style of cinema. Nah. No. Nah, know, that's totally Japanese horror. Yeah, there'd also have to be some kind of weird lactation in it. And, uh, maybe the guy's made of metal. I was about to so say, that's have why you... it goes, like, beep. Or the beeps are his screams. He just screams like that. Yeah. Like an almost perfect sine wave. Like, Don, would you shoot that? Probably. Let's <laughs> <laughs> say, when's the last time you've played Operation? It's like, do you know what's in that man's body? <laughs> like, <laughs> he has a horse in his thigh. <laughs> well, she has to put things in to take out. Well, exactly. There's a horse in his got, thigh. He's got the horses in the back. <laughs> oh, and of course she's wearing a schoolgirl uniform and smiling the yeah, entire course, time. Right? Do it. Uh, so she's, yeah, she has a horse in her thigh. What else is in operation? I'm going to look this up right now. Angela, do you have a board game movie? Um, more or less. Is uh, it Settlers of Catan, but it's just a re-release of Cloud Atlas? No, it, but I wish it was that. But I, what, I, what I'm cooking up is, like, so you have two, you know, have you seen Trading Places? Yeah. The Dan Aykroyd and, and uh, uh, Eddie, Mur Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy. Like, that movie's great. Right. You know how the whole situation starts because two rich old fucks just want to have a bet? So we take those two old rich fucks, except this time it's about uh, claiming insurance fraudulently by knocking down a skyscraper. And then what they want to do is they want to get Sylvester Stallone to blow it up. But the other brother doesn't want his brother to succeed in this scheme, so he calls in Arnold Schwarzenegger. But the thing is, Sylvester Stallone is stuck on the ground floor up to the 50th floor, and Arnold Schwarzenegger can only have access to the 51st floor and, and to the... To the 100th. To the 100th floor. And they have to blow each other up, but not enough to knock down the building. Is this Jenga? Yes. <laughs> 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 All right, but we have to ask the important question. Don, would you shoot this? Yes. <laughs> Who wouldn't shoot the Jenga movie? I would shoot the Jenga movie. <laughs> That's fucking awesome. <laughs> Jackson, would you like a surprise guest? Yes. I have a pitch. Okay, okay, Don, 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 get over here. Okay, okay, um, and special guest Don Moore, everyone. Hi, Two everybody. special guests. Hi, how you doing? Hi, everybody. Don Moore, award-winning cinematographer and director. Um, Are you award-winning? Not yet. Yeah. Um, I but am. I will More be saying, IMDb I credits. Already. Yeah. So, uh, I have a pitch here. So, this takes place in a, a small, kind of New England town. Uh, in the summer, I think, 1997, I think that would be a good year. Okay. It'd be a good year to pitch this. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm currently compiling a treatment in a PDF to send this off to A24. Okay. Um, so, it follows the life of this 17-year-old this girl. She's, uh, you know, just trying to make her way through high school. She's dealing with, you know, college life, and she's struggling with things like, you know, her gender, her sexuality, all that. And, you know, um, so she gets a job at a water park for the summer. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, a lot of this takes place here. We see her, it's a, it's a coming of age story. She really, you know, she meets a lot of people here, some interesting characters. We see a lot of interesting character studies here. Um, Shoots and Ladders, any 24 film. <laughs> <laughs> Shoots and ladders, an A twenty four film, but uh, Josh... shoots and ladders take take a really backseat role in the story. Yeah. <laughs> Josh, would you shoot this film? Yes. All right, I'd shoot shoots and ladders. It should be in black and white. <laughs> <laughs> Everything was... except the shoots and the ladders. I was gonna pitch a film based on the game of they life, but really, real. it just came down to re releasing Mama. <laughs> Oh. It came been... down to re-releasing Boyhood for me, but... <laughs> you know, there are more board game movies than I thought there were. You just have to look hard enough. Oh yeah, totally. 
Like, there was this one movie that came out. There's this board game I used to play called the Twilight New Moon Trivia Game. <laughs> Fuck and off. it turns out that they made a movie based off of it. It was really weird. I, have this, I, I hate had this, you so much. <laughs> I had the same thing. I had this uh, game that had a DVD disc. I think it was called Seen at Disney. And apparently they made a company based off of all of the trivia tidbits that was coming out for all of these, <laughs> all these games. Okay, so... <laughs> I hate you all. <laughs> so anyway, uh, so going going back, right? So we have Jackson's pitch for House on the Hill. Betrayal on House of the Hill, something that I took very seriously and then realized nobody else did. Yeah, so we have Betrayal for House on the Hill. We have Connect Four. We have Don't Wake Daddy. We have... What, what was yours, Josh? Operation. Yeah, we have Operation. We have Jenga. And we have Shoots and Ladders. So... <laughs> To anyone who listens to our podcast, please just let us know which one is your favorite. We need the audience engagement. <laughs> please, we're begging for money. Please. Yeah. Not even begging for money. I just, so I, I just want to go monetized and we okay. want to be. So yeah. I'm going to set up a P.O. box. It's going to go up on the Twitter we haven't made yet. And you can send <laughs> checks to this P.O. box. Yeah. So I, don't checks, believe, please. I don't believe in Patreon or in PayPal. Because taxation is theft, and you can't claim gifts, you can't tax gifts. So if you send us gifts of a check, and a picture of the front and back of your mom's credit card, and a short essay about what your mother's maiden name was and your first pet, we'll, uh, we'll use the funds you give us to make whatever pitch you uh, decide on. Please make sure that there's a disclaimer on screen saying don't actually do this, because I don't want to get sued. No. Just uh, comment on... Just... Don't do this, we'll get sued, and I don't want it. We're already, we're already banned <laughs> Mark... from Fiverr prematurely. What? <laughs> they already banned us from Fiverr. How'd they ban us from Fiverr? Because we just asked for the front and back of credit cards. <laughs> Did you really do that, Josh? Literally just now! <laughs> I mean, uh... <laughs> If Mark Zuckerberg can evade congressional testimony with the amount of data he collects, I don't see the harm in collecting a few people's social security numbers and giving them to us voluntarily, right? We don't have to do anything with them. And we just have them as insurance. Yeah, we'd have plenty of plausible deniability. You guys want to hear Jonathan Lynn's take on how this thing got popular and had a second life on home video? Like, why? Are we why? talking? Are we going back to Clue? We're gonna. We're just bouncing around. At we're this going back point. to Clue now. This is this is the end of that Buzzfeed article, and I thought it was actually really on point. So this is why he thinks that it's popular among like fucking millennials and kids and shit. I have a theory, he says. It's a movie that's about adult stuff, but you don't need a lot of hands-on experience to know what they're talking about. It's about murder and sex and blackmail, but you really don't get your hands dirty because it's so silly. It's almost like the characters were based on characters in a game. Oh, wait a minute. That's a, that's the director's actual quote. Ooh!